We'll call to order the Peace River Town Council regular meeting for Monday, March the 8th, 2021. And let the record show that we started at uh, five o'clock Microsoft time. Uh, the adoption of the agenda, are there any additions or deletions required, Mr. Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Can I get a motion to adopt the agenda as presented? Mr. Good, all in favor? Uh, beg pardon, Mr. Parker, there is an addition, the St. Germain report. Oh, sorry, the St. Germain report, uh, Your Worship. Okay, so um, void that uh, motion by Mr. Good. The St. Germain report. Okay, uh, so- Where will that be added? That will be under uh, new business. Okay. Uh, number five. Thank you. Okay. So Mr. Good, you wanna make- uh, I'll remake the motion to do, to uh, accept the agenda as amended. Okay, all in favor? Uh, the minutes of February 22nd, 2021, regular council meeting. Uh, are there any additions, edits? clarifications, et cetera, et cetera. If not, I'll take a motion to accept as presented. Mr. Needham, all in favor? Yes, as presented. Are there any public hearings, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Uh, that takes us to presentations, and I understand there's a presentation on the Peace River Fire Department apparatus purchase. And uh, did uh, Ms. McQuaig say that she had just issued the report? Yes, so, so uh, the report was, yeah, Your Worship, the report was sent out earlier this afternoon to all the council. It is going to be presented. Um, we have uh, two representatives from uh, TSI, Erica Thomas and Shane, uh, Shane, what's your last name? Christensen. Christensen, sorry about that. Uh, so uh, they're the ones that'll be uh, presenting the report. And then if council has any questions, uh, we could uh, entertain those questions. And then we would be asking for a, a motion from council to accept uh, the report for information. The report has been appended to the published agenda. Okay, uh, Ms. Thomas and Mr. Christensen, uh, was it Christian or Christensen? Christensen. Uh, feel, feel free to uh, make your presentation. Very okay. good. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and uh, thank you, Council. And I just wanted to uh, say quick thank you for, again, entrusting TSI uh, with working with your community. And I will introduce uh, our senior consultant, Shane Christensen, to take you through the report. Thank you, Erica. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor and Council. I'm going to share my screen here. And, and there we go. Uh, trust everybody can see what uh, I'm showing, sharing here right now. So I'm going to go through here uh, at a bit of a high level. Uh, I don't want to get too granular into the details of the report. I'll just uh, kind of brush upon uh, what the scope, I'm sorry. I just want to brush upon what the scope of this uh, assessment was, um, what the research uh, has found and what the recommendations are. So my understanding is that Peace River is looking at adding an apparatus to its fleet uh, and that there is a capital placeholder in the budget. Um, and there's been some questions uh, 
posed in terms of what uh, kind of apparatus would most suit the community of Peace River. Uh, in addition to that, there is uh, some questions sought as, uh, do we want to look at something that's new or used? Uh, and if we do go with a new or used uh, apparatus, what kind of apparatus would be a best fit for the community? So as part of this uh, assessment, uh, I made a trip up and had a chance to visit uh, with Chris and uh, uh, Tim, the fire chief. I had a good afternoon spent with uh, Chris and some of the evening with uh, Tim, uh, taking a look at the community and assessing what the needs are uh, for uh, Peace River today. So moving to the ex executive summary, just to kind of provide that high level, um, we took a look at the community and I took a look at a breakdown of what the building construction type and ages of a lot of the facilities uh, within the community. Uh, took a look at the what would be considered a pressure for fire operations and looking at what kind of an apparatus would best suit those kinds of fire risks. Uh, it was discovered, you know, uh, your town has, uh, as would be expected of a lot of rural municipalities in Alberta, a variety of building construction types uh, dating from light to medium industrial facilities, uh, as well as your standard single family uh, detached dwelling up to uh, three, four story and six story uh, medium density walk up and elevated buildings. In looking at those types of construction types, I also uh, took a look at what the capacity is for your current fire department in terms of uh, the fire force, uh, the volume of calls, what the existing apparatus uh, is that is used in the deployment uh, for emergencies within your community. And discovered that uh, you have a call volume type that would be typical of that kind of community and a fire force which would be representative also of that uh, community. So you've uh, currently on your staff have a fire chief, senior captain, a senior firefighter and a remaining roster of a captain, uh, two lieutenants, a senior uh, firefighter, 17 firefighters and two probationary firefighters. In the overall context of things, uh, the community has a, a smaller uh, responding fire force and at the initial look at the size of the department in conjunction with the uh, type of building construction facilities in Peace River, it was uh, determined that the most appropriate type of apparatus that your community moved forward with would be an aerial type uh, of truck. Uh, you take a look at that in conjunction with the age of your existing fleet. Uh, the ideal situation would obviously be have a, a newer pump and a newer aerial. Obviously, uh, that is not financially uh, a good decision to make just because of the cost to the community. So looking through all the context of the information, it, it made sense to look at a, an aerial type of apparatus that provides you a two-for-one type of solution. So you're able to achieve a newer pump uh, to provide fire protection within the community, but you also have a, an aerial platform, which is something your community currently doesn't have. Uh, currently, the fire department uses ground ladders to support roof operations, and the uh, height of uh, particularly the Heritage Building, uh, your, your seniors complex, uh, rapidly exceeds, apologies, rapidly exceeds the uh, limit of ground ladders, and, and that, that factor alone certainly necessitates the need for an aerial uh, apparatus. The other piece of information I took a look at from the community perspective was the uh, latest uh, fire underwriter survey report, uh, which uh, 
also uh, interestingly identified an aerial truck as a recommendation uh, at the time of the um, publishing of that report. The, uh, one, of the, one of the comments that uh, I found interesting in the uh, FUS report was that it talked about that the fire risk for the community was expanding a little bit faster than what the community was doing for fire protection. And adding a newer aerial platform or a new aerial platform uh, would do a couple things. Uh, first of all, it, it's going to provide you with a new truck. Uh, it's going to give you an extra firefighting adjunct, which you currently uh, do not uh, have in your capacity. And the other piece is that uh, by employing a new apparatus into the fleet, you can uh, commission a new fire underwriter su survey, uh, which in my uh, estimation should improve your fire community grade, which would therefore allow for some cheaper fire insurance rates amongst the residents and the, the uh, businesses in the community. So in, in looking through, and I'm, I'm just getting through the report here. So of course, if anybody has any questions, please stop me. But the, um, the ideal option uh, for a apparatus for the town uh, would be in my estimation is a single axle rear mount, 100 foot platform style truck. Uh, and the reason that I suggest that is the best recommendation is uh, the 100 foot platform provides a little extra flexibility over the 75. Uh, if you find yourself in a situation, for example, where you're coming to uh, a structure fire or any kind of event where you need to deploy your aerial device, uh, and you say we're in the middle of a street where you have uh, parked vehicles on both sides, uh, you're left with no choice but to deploy that apparatus in the middle of the street. And by deploying a 75 foot, you've lost some effective reach to reach the residence or, or the building or what have you in order to be able to do any kind of roof work or rescue or uh, uh, water suppression activities. That 100 foot will give you that little extra capacity that a 75 wouldn't. Uh, further to that is the, uh, the platform uh, allows you some functionality that a just a standard aerial device doesn't. And the biggest piece that struck me is that uh, is a safety perspective from the firefighters uh, that would be working on the ground. In a current firefighting environment, and I'm not, didn't get into the deployment uh, protocols, uh, Tim would be able to add into that, is if, if you're running a two attack lines into a building uh, and you're running two to three firefighters per line, uh, you've effectively used up over half of your functional fire force on the ground. Uh, Tim was kind enough to provide me with what the average uh, number of firefighters attending calls, in particular a structure fire, uh, by the time you put four to six people inside a building to uh, conduct any firefighting activities, uh, you've left yourself very thin in order to be able to do any kind of roof work. Uh, and running ground ladders uh, and getting folks on the roof is a very, very resource intensive uh, uh, operation. Uh, and even in larger departments, uh, Larger departments can find very quickly that uh, roof work can really consume available resources on the ground. Uh, in that vein, having a platform style truck would allow you to put one or perhaps two firefighters at the end of that aerial device and you can conduct roof work, you can uh, tie off, you can uh, uh, do uh, fire suppression activities. A rescue environment becomes much, much more tenable uh, in the, the fact that you're able to have a door that opens off the front of the uh, tower piece that gains you access to uh, the balcony or windows that your guys are trying to get access to for a rescue or for entering into a, uh, a firefighting environment. 
having said that, an understanding that you know the, the community is um, sensitive to dollars uh, in today's environment. I mean, we understand we're dealing with a COVID environment and it's uh, impacted uh, available dollars. My recommendation would be a premium style. So if, if it's decided that uh, it makes sense to move with a new truck and, and the recommendations that I'm looking at uh, sits well with council uh, and it makes sense to go that way, then clearly I would say that a platform style area would be where you guys would want to go. However, if it's on your heart that the, the money is uh, a difficult thing to get your head wrapped around in terms of that style of truck, uh, you know, the opportunity to move to a, say a 75 foot uh, device with or without a platform is certainly gonna provide you an effective option uh, in consideration that currently uh, there is no aerial device in the, in, in the fleet right now. So that you're moving from ground ladders to an aerial apparatus. So, there's a couple options to look at. Like I say, I think the premium one would be definitely looking at 100 foot. It's going to provide you some flexibility uh, in, in tighter environments. Having said that, a 75 foot uh, would certainly cover off a lot of the fire risk that would be typical that one would see from a fire department uh, within your within your town. Um, the only thing that I would uh, suggest is that if you're going to look at, and I identified in the report that. Um, um, Buying used aerials is not something that I would typically recommend um, unless one is really familiar with the truck. But again, that's a decision that uh, it has to come down to, you know, the council administration to find uh, what works best for you folks. In moving on with that, one of the other questions that was posed was, um, you know, what kind of uh, maintenance time would be looking at? What kind of maintenance would be necessarily considered uh, when you bring an aerial style device into your fleet? Um, and there is a NFPA standard that addresses the typical kind of maintenance that one would be mandated to cover in um, deploying an operational aerial. Uh, annually, there needs to be a visual inspection test. And once every five years, it needs to be an NDT or a non-destructive test uh, done as a, a matter of course, in addition, in addition to your regular CVIPs and pump tests, which would be done with the rest of your trucks as well. The uh, time frame for those is usually a day. And, uh, you know, my understanding with, with the way um, the department wants to move forwards with a new truck is to take one of your existing frontline pumps and turn it into an operational reserve truck. So it has to be operationally ready and has to have the maintenance done to it to keep it at that level. And if for some reason that, you know, this new apparatus or one of your other pumps has to come out of service, you have a reserve pump that will come in and act as a frontline truck. So there would not necessarily be a degradation of fire pump um, resource to the town, although there would may perhaps be a, um, a period of time where you would be without an aerial device for testing. Um, Quick question. Yes, sir. So when you, just so that council's aware, so when you use the term frontline truck, you're not talking about first responding truck, you're talking about, can you explain that to council? The difference between a first responder and a frontline truck? I certainly can, that's a good question. Uh, so the uh, first responder style truck uh, is uh, used for doing an emergency medical response. Um, and it can be, the words are kind of interchanged. So a frontline truck is typically your one of your first responding operators of the door, and it could be 
also used as a first responder style truck. Basically what it means is that uh, depending on, again, looking at your deployment model, depending on which fire hall um, is required to respond to that event, that frontline truck could be um, ready to run out of the door out of, uh, I believe it's hall number four, or it could be ready to run out of the door hall number one. It's the first truck to, first do out truck to come out of that fire station. So uh, my understanding is that if you're gonna bring in a new truck, that's going to become your frontline apparatus. And, and to me, that makes sense. And if it's going to be an aerial truck, you've got a brand new pump and you also have a brand new aerial on top of it. So when I'm talking about a frontline truck, I'm thinking that your new apparatus would become, um, would fill that role. If, if, does that help answer your question, Mr. Ford? So, one of the reasons in the report I did not recommend uh, running with a tandem platform, which is one of your heavier style aerials, is for, for a few reasons. First off, as uh, these trucks uh, start to become extremely maintenance heavy, they're uh, not a fast responding truck. Uh, and because you start to run with increased lengths, you start to run with clearance issues, uh, driving through communities and towns or up or, or into streets and corners. And there might be some parts of that community where you'd find a larger truck like that just simply wouldn't be able to go. Uh, you add to that fact that uh, your uh, gross vehicle weight can probably exceed what would be considered normal for your, your streets. And you'd start to find you may prematurely start to wear out uh, some of the streets in the community. So that was one of the other reasons why I said that you probably would be best suited to looking for a single apparatus truck. Um, and notwithstanding, and I'm not, I didn't get into the numbers of uh, firefighters on the department that have a class three license, but if you move to a tandem truck, obviously that's a, that's a uh, hidden cost that kind of comes up is all of your drivers need to be class three trained. One of the other questions uh, that was uh, asked to be answered, um, and this kind of fits the new versus used scenario is would it make sense to buy a used aerial and a used pump and then potentially just bring out the aerial on a as needed basis? Uh, so basically what it would be saying there is you would buy a pump truck that would become your frontline truck and your aerial would be kind of a reserve piece that you would bring out for those calls where you know you're gonna need an aerial device. So I, I decided to answer that question from a operational standpoint. And when you're responding to a structure fire or alarms call or anything like that, um, the decision whether you need an aerial needs to be done early. Uh, if you decide to wait uh, to deploy an aerial under the context of what this question is, you're gonna find that you're already gonna be too late operationally and uh, st uh, strategically and tactically for that event. Uh, and you're gonna end up as an operational commander, you're gonna end up chasing that call notwithstanding the fact that placement of uh, uh, apparatus becomes a little dicey. If you've already have one or two engines uh, staged on scene and perhaps you have uh, a County Northern Lights coming in, they put a truck on scene, you guys decide, oh, you know what, we need an aerial. Um, placing that aerial into that operation becomes extraordinarily difficult when you've already had uh, engines assigned to, that, uh, to deal with that event. Notwithstanding the fact that, and I'm looking again back from the smaller cadre of firefighters that are on that department, is that you're going to have to start uh, uh, start robbing resources from scene to make a trip back to the fire hall to bring that truck out. Uh, so in that vein, uh, I wouldn't recommend that that be considered an operational choice, which uh, led me to recommend again, if you buy a newer newer aerial truck, you're able to actually get a newer pump at the same time, and you can uh, make that decision early and have that ladder readily there available for you. Just a question, Shane. Um, so. 
in the scenario you just described where the, the first truck doesn't do it, you need the aerial. Would not the location itself tell the fire department, I'd better send the aerial? Or do you always have to send the first truck because it's the first truck? That becomes a, it's a good question. Uh, you can, it needs to be a decision on what you want to have as a frontline apparatus. The decision to have an aerial again, as I said, needs to be made early. And in the context of the size of your fire force, it makes sense for the aerial to be your frontline truck because it, it, it's already there. You're not having to take resources. Uh, it doesn't become a second string uh, apparatus. It should be uh, your first string apparatus. And again, I, I think coming out of hall one, it, uh, your fire department and your chief and your firefighters are already well aware of what the building construction type is in town. And I'm gonna guess it because most of these people have been living there a long time. When that address comes in, they're probably gonna know where and what it is. Um, but one of the things that I've learned in firefighting is the only thing you know for sure is that you don't know for sure. And uh, if you start making assumptions, uh, you know, honestly, it, you know, you can attend 100 fire calls and 90 of them are going to be routine. Uh, and, you know, in your scenario that you're speaking to would make that would make sense that maybe you don't want to have, you don't need the aerial, but that you're going to have those 10 calls. Something's going to go completely different than what you have trained for and what you practice for. And you're going to realize I need that truck. And it's in that instance where it makes sense to make that as a regular deployment model type, and it's always there. And when you hit that one, those 10 calls out of 100, you don't have to react and say, oh, I, I'm in a bit of a trouble here. I already have the device and I can put it in the plate to deal with the, the, the mitigating and mitigate these factors that I'm facing. Does that help at all? Uh, yes, Mr. Ford. So just in that circumstance that you just explained, so when you talk aerial and a second truck as a used pumper, so that aerial that you're referring to does not have a pump on it and does not move water. No, no. So the device that I'm speaking to, Mr. Ford, is called a quint. And uh, so no, I understand. I know what the quint sorry. is. Just in this circumstance, when you're, when you're talking about buying a, possibly buying a used aerial, and then you've got to make the choice of, is, does the pump respond or does the aerial respond? So does that, that becomes an op have a, is it carry a, a fire pump on it as well? Yes, yes it would. Does. Yes it would, yeah. It may not necessarily be a quint, but it would certainly have a fire pump, yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay, so let's uh, just check along here. So we talked about the maintenance costs. And my understanding is from uh, Mr. Parker that, that there is a, a new apparatus that he had uh, talked about here this evening uh, with actually, he just talked with me here this afternoon about it. And buying something, if you're gonna look at a second option of new versus used, one of the things you need to take a look at is your maintenance costs. Uh, and one of the things I've always been, and I, if you guys are going to move with a, a used apparatus, you need to understand that uh, as the older that truck gets, it becomes, um, there's a linear um, effect with the age of the truck versus the maintenance. Um, and as long as you guys understand that if you're gonna buy a, a older used apparatus and you decide that maybe a new one isn't something you wanna do with, um, understand that there could be some hidden costs there that you're unaware of. 
if you're going to buy something that's uh, quite new and maybe gently used, uh, that would obviously be less so. So uh, it's just uh, that's just a risk that uh, needs to be considered uh, as you guys discuss the, the merits of a new versus used apparatus and, and what type you want to go with. So as I talked to before, I said that there's a bit of a, there's a bewildering array of uh, apparatus types that are available. Um, I, a couple of them I didn't even speak to because they, 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 frankly, they're, they're, um, they would make no sense for your department whatsoever. But the, the trucks that I've kind of narrowed in is, do you want to look at a tandem truck or do you want to look at a single axle? And I kind of identified the reasons why a tandem truck would not necessarily be a best fit for the community and why you would look at a single axle. One of the other pieces that uh, I mentioned too, and I, I understand this truck is going to be considered a bit of a regional apparatus. Uh, having a single axle platform is going to provide you a lot of extra agility should you guys decide to take that stuff out on the highway and uh, have it used in other communities uh, to help assist their fire forces. So, and if I'm correct, I understand that uh, this would be the only aerial in the region. So if that's where you guys choose to go. Um, one other things that I, I talked about here too is the um, location of the truck in terms of where it would make the best fit. And when I took a look at your two fire halls, uh, the fire hall that you have in your downtown core, in my mind, makes the best place to place a new aerial device, if that's where you guys choose to go. Uh, I understand, and it looks to me like your guys are going to have to involve some capital planning to enlarge the doors in terms of height to allow that truck to move in and out. Uh, but the big reason why that truck, in my mind, makes sense there is uh, you have a well-paved uh, apron and streets. Uh, the hall uh, on the other side there, I believe is hall four. Um, you're dealing with a, a paved gravel parking lot and there just, there would be a concern with a, a little bit of a heavier truck that uh, getting in and out of that uh, hall uh, would be a little bit difficult. And my understanding is actually, you guys have a bit of a low-lying area behind there that uh, can get a bit soft. So I necessarily wouldn't recommend placing that truck in the hall number four. Hall number one would make, in my mind, would make the better uh, operational decision. So just to recap here is uh, um, my recommendation is be that you look for a new quint uh, and that you'd look at a cabin chassis that's custom built uh, and that you look at a single axle rear mount platform style. And that uh, obviously, as I just uh, alluded to, that would be in hall one would be the best place to accommodate this device. Now, this is, I didn't put this, I put this in as a consideration. Um, and the only reason I put that in there is that uh, is the, the more miles you put on these aerials, uh, obviously the, the maintenance is going to come with that. And that perhaps it would make sense to use that truck as a municipal only device. So when I'm talking a frontline truck, that area would remain a frontline truck for the municipal limits of Keese River. And that if another community, unless they're specifically asking for an aerial device, I would recommend that you can continue to send your pumper trucks to help out the other communities. Uh, just it would help uh, el el um, lengthen the useful service life of that truck. Uh, that you would have engine seven remain in hall four as a mechanical reserve. Uh, you move engine eight to hall four as the primary response engine or the frontline truck for that hall. Uh, in addition there, I would recommend uh, trying to establish an updated fuss uh, survey for your community to improve the fire grade and help lower your fire insurance uh, costs for your businesses and your uh, residential citizens. Um, and I also put in consider here, because I made a bit of an assumption that um, 
that there isn't uh, any capital replacement for replacement of engine eight, but that perhaps you guys look at uh, setting aside a capital budget plan to replace that truck within a few years as well. Does anybody have any questions? Uh, yeah, well, I've got uh, a, well, a question and an observation. So in your community profile, um, you didn't uh, you didn't take into account the uh, the railway line. So <clears throat> the railway line here is the own is is the only railway crossing in all of northwestern Alberta uh, across the Peace River, <clears throat> and so we get a lot of dangerous goods coming in with it. It's also uh, I understand uh, one of the steepest grades in the province. Um, this railway track, uh, probably the steepest grade outside of the Rocky Mountains. So uh, the worst case scenario for us would be a derail derailment. And um, well, I know that uh, rail, rail, that rail uh, line used to carry uh, chlorine. I don't know if it does anymore. Um, anhydrous SO2 definitely carries a lot of anhydrous ammonia. So the worst case scenario would be a derailment and, um, and it's the worst case scenario because um, um, there is a, uh, there are two schools that are close to the railway track uh, and there is limited egress both on the north and the south side of the town because this railway track bisects the town. So we would, uh, my, my, um, and my uh, support for uh, a, a elevated platform, whether it was ladder or, or an aerial was uh, so we could get knocked down mist if uh, we had a, a rail car with uh, gaseous material in it. So we could knock down the, uh, uh, or mitigate the gas. Um, <clears throat> And then, uh, so does that, would that change your decision on a quint? Um, and also, I guess with a ladder truck um, in the winter, um, if the hydraulics don't, hydraulic oil doesn't cooperate, uh, would a ladder truck have a manual override? Whereas I imagine an aerial platform would um, you're, you, you have to rely on the hydraulics. So there's a number of questions there. Those are uh, good questions, Mr. Mayor. Um, so to uh, look at the first one, uh, you're right. I did not consider the rail line as part of the hazard assessment within the community, certainly from the, the profile from whether an aerial is required or not. If, so I'll backtrack. When, when you look at a fire service for a town, um, really what I have always considered a fire department to be is your kind of a risk insurance policy for the community and what level um, of risk does a community want to grade and insure and when I say insure I'm talking like what kind of apparatus do you want to put into that community to be able to mitigate those risks. If, if it's a the rail car becomes a concern 
I still wouldn't necessarily say that you would want to move to a tandem truck, although when you get to move into tandem trucks, you can start looking at larger, quite a bit larger size pumps to flow big water. And when you're dealing with a derailment, big water is quite important. Having said that, uh, you can still, uh, you know, I was talking with Tim and uh, most trucks will come with a 1500 gallon per minute pump and there's nothing saying you can't move into a 1750. Um, having said that also that when you, uh, you have a finite amount of space in a fire truck. And when you start changing stuff like pump size, and that limits other sizes within truck as in cabinet size, it'll affect the size of your tank. Uh, ultimately though, you can still run a very large nozzle on the end of uh, one of those sticks, whether it be a platform or a um, elevated snorkel device. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily change the style of the truck versus 10 versus single, but if that becomes a risk that's considered that you uh, want to have some protection against, then I, my advice would be is to make sure that you can move to the largest available pump that you could fit in that truck and still find a functionality throughout the rest of the apparatus, i.e. in cabinet size, et cetera. Um, and I lost my train of thought. The second question was related to uh, Mr. Mayor. Um, if you can help me, please. It was oh, the- Oh, I think it was, um had to do with hydraulics and if the uh, if a ladder truck would have an override if your hydraulics failed on you. That's yeah. So all fire trucks will come with manual overrides. Um, Even the aerial the, platform ones. Yes, they oh, yes they will yes they will yes they will. I've uh, I've I've seen them put into use in extreme cold weather where the hydraulics start to work and you do have manual overrides. Um, you know I. From experience, they certainly don't work as fast as they do when you're working under a hydraulic motor, but they do have manual overrides where you can move the truck manually. Right. Yeah, when I, when I say a worst case scenario, I mean a worst case scenario. So we haven't had, uh, certainly in my 30 years here, we haven't had a derailment, but it is a, a steep grade. It does have a curve on the bottom. We do, uh, we do move a lot of dangerous goods through this community and, uh, like I said, egress is very limited, both uh, like we, we just have one major highway through the town. There's a, there's a, I guess an escape highway on the south, south end, but uh, that's about it. And the schools are on the north end and you can see if there's a derailment and kids are in school and we ask them to uh, stay in place um, until we can, uh, arrest the uh, escaping gases that that is just going to be a, uh, a panic situation amongst the parents so um, so I think we do need to think about that as even though it's outside the uh, you know I, I don't know what the risk factor for that would be um, uh, but we do get Derailments happening all across the country, particularly in cold weather. So, uh, as as rail tracks uh, crack and that sort of thing. So, understood. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to. Uh, I'll leave it to to administration to decide whether they want to. Uh, try and capture that and the recommendations that would go around that. But what I heard you say is, yeah, if you want to think about that, you probably want to think about a tandem truck then. Uh, Mr. Mayor, if I may, I, 
I'd be I'd be a little reluctant to look at a tandem truck, to, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Uh, and the, the reason I say that, and you know, that would be a uh, it's a risk that one certainly needs to consider, certainly. But it, it's uh, it's I feel that if, if you were to bring a tandem truck into that community right now, you would find that your maintenance costs would be quite excessive. Okay. Uh, for for a I mean, understanding if you have a, a derailment in town, whether you have a tandem axle or a single axle, uh, Mr. Mayor, would probably be lower down on your list of concerns. Um, the fact that you would have an additional pump truck even in service is going to give you a lot of extra water flow that you wouldn't have currently. And if you decide uh, to consider that as part of your risk factor, I would recommend going to a larger pump, maybe going to a 1750 from a 1500 as opposed to looking at a tandem truck. I think that your costs over time uh, would uh, start to climb uh, for, for a, a single call type. Um, to me, that would not necessarily be a best match of uh, financial resources for a single call type. But uh, definitely a, a ladder or an aerial platform to, uh, to get some elevation on the rail cars and spray them down and knock down the gases or in the case of a blevy, uh, uh, concern uh, water down the uh, the uh, petroleum containing uh, vehicle. Correct. And if I, if I seem to recall, you guys, uh, the department has some blitz fires. So there's some remote operated devices that you could use that you could set up to, for water curtains and fire protection scenarios um, that could be used as an adjunct in addition to that aerial device to make sure you're getting proper water curtains or, um, you know, keeping, keeping that tank uh, under a water mist to prevent prevent gas, uh, so on and so forth. So I think that there's some adjuncts you could use that would uh, serve you better than buying a tandem truck just for that one call type. Okay. And uh, those answer my question, Mr. Ford. Yeah. Um, thank you, Your Worship. Uh, thank you very much, Shane. And uh, and I'm just trying to find her here so I can catch her name, uh, Erica. Erica. Um, I go back to when uh, Chief Harris uh, presented. Uh, purchasing an aerial apparatus a couple of years back when we first passed the uh, the 1.4 million dollar budget for this for this apparatus and this report here I actually read it a couple of times uh, since this afternoon and it pretty much um, going back from memory pretty much backs up everything that Chief Harris told us uh, a couple of years ago when he made his presentation um, the other question I have this would be um, like I do like the uh, I like the recommendations of moving from a tandem to a, to a single axle with a hundred foot with the basket on the end of it. Um, this is an apparatus that uh, Chief Harris showed us a couple of years ago. Um, the other thing I do like about it is the clearance. You don't have the clearance issues and uh, you don't, it, you're able to get into those streets that where it might be a cul-de-sac and you have a tight turning radius uh, where a, a single axle will, will make that turn for you. Uh, but my one my one question, and then I have a comment to make, is it goes actually to Chief Harris, and uh, Mr. Harris, with this report and the recommendations coming out of this report, is this type of apparatus that is being recommended for the fire department in Peace River acceptable to you and your department? Yes, uh, Council, as as you kind of mentioned, it's it's. Um what we sort of presented earlier um, in the capital budget for the 2020 and uh, this doesn't meet our needs 
and I believe our needs, you know, for now and you know, going in 15, 20 years into the future as well. Okay, and then my uh, my last comment for now, and then I'll let other councillors chime in, but uh, uh, just so councils are aware, we just we had a fire up here on the West Hill in uh, Chief Harris's report. We had a firefighter injured on on that scene. It happened to be a, a slip and trip. Um, that could have happened on a roof. It could have happened on the on the ground. Unfortunately, this one happened on the roof, and uh, the the firefighter that was injured was able to get down on down the ladder on their own. Uh, for me, having that basket is a major. Uh, um, safety issue for our firefighters because if that firefighter would not have been able to come down on on their own it would have been a high angle rope rescue and or renting some sort of apparatus to to get that individual down um from what i understand that uh, that uh firefighter is also waiting for surgery as uh, they have to have a it's either a tendon or a ligament reattached so big safety concern for me Uh, Mr. Nino. Thanks, Shane. Uh, just you caused some alarms when you started talking about the weight of these trucks and the potential impact on, on uh, local asphalt, town streets. So this single axle one, are you, I presume that that issue disappears. It was the double axle that you were worried about in the weight. Is that correct? Uh, Mr. Nino, that, that is absolutely correct. Uh, the uh, tandem platform trucks are, they're excessively heavy. Um, right. Even in my previous, in my previous experience, uh, when we did an assessment for a, um, a uh, tower apparatus here for the community that I worked in, uh, we had to make sure that the streets within the community could even hold the weight of that truck. Uh, and as it turns out, there's even a couple of places in the community I live that a tandem would not be able okay. to go at all. Great, uh, single, I, I understand. Yeah. Just one, one final question. Uh, so when this, the proposed unit leaves the fire hall, can it leave with two firefighters or does it have to leave with four firefighter fighters? Uh, what, what's, is there a minimum deployment number that goes with this new apparatus? You know, that, that, that depends on the operational deployment of the department. Uh, and I think that one of the guiding principles in that is the size of your fire force. And also the yeah, fact that this truck, in my estimation, would be considered a frontline truck. Um, and I would think that uh, you would probably, and Chief Harris would have to step in here. I'm not sure how many typically go, but I would say that you would want to leave with four. If it's going to be a frontline truck. You want to leave with a minimum of four firefighters. So no, you got I, guess, I guess, fair enough. And I'm familiar with that number with the current setup. I was, I guess what I was driving at is your, my language, adding a bunch of bells and whistles to a ladder truck, which we don't have. Do you, does the number then change from four to five? And it sounds as though that's not the case. So uh, thank you. You're welcome, Mr. Needham. Um, Mr. Mayor, uh, a question. <laughs> um, so Shane, um, is there a different amount of training that you need for a 75 foot versus a hundred foot uh, type apparatus thing? and? a platform versus the snorkel that was mentioned in the report? The length of the ladder in the frame that you're asking uh, does not require any different type of training. 
Okay. The moving from a snorkel to a platform uh, does yes, and that's only based on the type of work that you want to do. Uh, if I can use as an example, um, and I apologize, I haven't got the report me, but your heritage, I think it's her the Heritage Tower building. So when, when I was there in the community on street side, uh, the street side of that facility has no balconies, it's just glass. And if you were to use a snorkel truck to uh, affect a rescue from a window, um, uh, that um, is very difficult to do, particularly if you have a resident within that, on the other side of that glass, it might not be very ambulatory. Um, a tower platform style truck requires uh, just some different training in the sense that you're working from a small, basically a small bucket elevated up in the air. And it provides you a lot of extra options in terms of conducting rescue activities, as well as suppression activities. And it's in that vein that I say that there's extra, not, uh, there's extra training required to cover the different scopes of options that are available to a fire commander to affect a tactical decision. So the, um, you know, for, for example, uh, and I allude to the uh, event there where you had a fire a couple of few weeks ago, one of your firefighters suffered an injury. The, if there was a platform aerial there, the chance of that injury would have been, I wouldn't say it would disappear, but it would have been reduced dramatically because you have the ability to tie off underneath uh, platforms. Uh, so you have some harnesses and rope to help uh, prevent any slips or falls. So that if you do that, that you have a safety harness catching you. Um, that's that kind of flexibility is a little less available than a snorkel style truck. And uh, that's why I highlight that as an example is that that becomes a training opportunity for firefighters. Okay, how do I tie off properly? How can I work safely if I have to exit the bucket? Whereas from a snorkel, you really can't leave anywhere. You're confined to the top of that ladder. Okay. And, and change the topic. You mentioned uh, the maintenance requirements and the um, uh, annual and five-year check kind of things. So in our circumstance, where would this fire truck go to get that? work done? That's a very good question. Uh, in my estimation, it wouldn't need to leave Peace River. Great. Uh, you can have um, technicians that are trained in delivering that kind of service that would actually come right up to your community. So we wouldn't send the fire truck, we'd pay to get the technician here. It's kind that, of that would be where I would be looking to, yeah. And uh, I would look to Chief Harris that, uh, I've, if I'm not mistaken, that there is um, uh, some folks in the area that are able to deliver that kind of service. Uh, you know, and perhaps, I'm not sure if it would be Grand Prairie or something, but I know that uh, there's certainly those uh, services are available in Edmonton and uh, they will do remote on-site work. Yeah, and there's the technicians that would, would do a, a route, um, you know, either from Grand Prairie, you know, they go up to high levels for the, for the trucks up there. Um, so it would be a kind of stop along the way, okay. um, which would reduce some of their uh, travel costs. So. Okay, my last question has to do with sort of the 75 versus the 100 um, storing in the hall that's downtown. Um, will the 75 foot fit in the present hall as it is? Yes and no. Uh, for length, for length, yes. For bill, for door height, no. So renovation either which way, with either version, 75 or 100. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, there isn't really a lot of difference in, in the truck dimensions um, with a different ladder because it's, you know, the, the truck is really the, the same kind of length, just a, with a shorter ladder on it. Ladder is concertinaed anyway, so um, 
just uh, maybe a little comment and to sort of reiterate what uh, Shane said, uh, Deputy Mayor, it's what you brought up earlier, that sort of a truck like this would, you know, would be our, our first response out of Hall 1, uh, as the engine is now, because it's a quint, it's really a multi-purpose truck, so it's not just an aerial. Um, you can get trucks that are just, you know, a ladder, an aerial, and for the big city departments that sometimes have those, when that's all they need it for. Um, it would be our truck that would go to any kind of fire. I mean, I'm not saying not a wildland fire, but any kind of uh, fire within town. Um, and as Shane said, because you don't plan, you can never plan on what's going to happen. So a response for a vehicle fire, you could just think of a vehicle fire, you don't need an aerial, but if that vehicle is parked sometimes in a garage, they don't tell us, or right next to a building, now the building's on fire, um, and then we need our aerial. Um, maybe it's a transport truck that's on fire, and you want to get up, you know, above the, uh, the 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 truck part, the box part of that, and for an aerial platform. So or in a backyard with uh, no back alleys, it's just yard to yard. Exactly for for in a shed in the backyard for access with a with that kind of truck, you could go over the house and and put water on it um, from a distance. So it's uh, it's a multi-purpose truck. It has the hoses, ladders. It could do the regular fires. It can do a lot of those regular things. Um, now, we okay. wouldn't use it as a front line for medical calls. We have other trucks already equipped for that. Okay, I really have one last question then. Um, in here, it reference uh, was to the insurance um, going from a, we went from a six to a five or vice versa anyhow, we went worse. Um, if you go up one, does that mean it's sort of like a 10% insurance change in price or do you have any idea about that? Uh, no, I apologize, I don't. Uh, one of the things I should probably note in there is from the last fire fuss report, at that time that report was drafted, there was only one fire station in the town. So by virtue of the fact that the second one was added after that report was commissioned, would see an improvement there just because you have a, a better response capabilities throughout the whole community. Um, adding, pump, adding pump obviously adds uh, additional water flow uh, to the, uh, for fire protection in the community. Um, uh, Tim would have to uh, engage with uh, FUS to get that study done uh, to determine what kind of a savings rate. So, um, and it might not be a fair comparison, uh, but just to kind of give you a, a sense of the change, um, you know, basically an entirely different topic, but the community I live in is looking at putting in a third fire hall. And uh, so we had, we, had a, we had a FUS study done and it was determined that uh, we have um, uh, not too much light, but lots of medium industrial and some borderline heavier industrial um, businesses in our industrial complex in the north part of the city. And that some of these uh, businesses would enjoy a $30,000 savings by just having a fire hall located. So it's not just the fire station, but there's gonna be apparatus. Now, I, I don't want you to take that number to the bank and say that uh, the businesses in Peace River would enjoy that same kind of cost savings. But I think, it would be a measurable um, difference such that it would become an easier, it, in my mind, I see that as a marketable opportunity to, uh, as a, a unintended benefit of adding this device to the community is that, yeah, we are gonna be spending money here, uh, uh, you know, uh, from the public, public purse, but there's also gonna be a hidden benefit here over the long term. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, no more questions? Okay, thank you, uh, Mr. 
Christensen and uh, Ms. Thomas. Thank you okay. for your time, Mr. Mayor. Great. And if we can just have a motion, uh, Council, to accept this report, uh, receive this report for information. Okay, Mr. Ford's making that motion. All in favor? Um, Warren, you... if you're talking, you're on mute. Sorry, that that I was uh, that wasn't going to be my motion, sir. Um, council, think if we made a motion to go ahead with the purchase of this quintarial apparatus as recommended in the report. Um, so, does, uh, it, does it mean have plans for an RFD? Yes, so we don't, we don't have an RFD or anything like that. So uh, we generally, when we have presentations, um, Councillor Ford, we just have a move to accept for, to receive the report. And then it comes back later when we did, we make a full fledged discussion. Okay, so with that being said, how, how soon would we be seeing an, uh, a request for a decision on this purchase? I'm, we'll try within the next couple of uh, weeks. So. Okay, I'd make a motion to, to move the report for information. Okay, all in favor? Even though you favored already, okay. Um, we will now go to uh, uh, bylaws, uh, request for a decision on 2083 code of conduct bylaw. Uh, thank you very much, uh, your worship. Uh, what you have before you is the uh, uh, code of conduct uh, bylaw 2083. Um, this uh, uh, bylaw has already been to uh, the governance and priority committee meeting on uh, February 23rd. Um, and we had uh, a fruitful discussion. We also um, uh, had uh, um, a very good uh, uh, response from council of what they would like to see and some changes and everything. So we, um, we took those uh, comments uh, from that meeting and uh, we took a look at uh, where we can adjust and uh, incorporate them. So starting off with, uh, and I don't know, does council want me to go through the report or do you just want to ask questions? Uh, well, I've got, I got too many questions to, to ask. We could go to uh, second reading and I'll vote against third reading and uh, I'll, uh, I'll put my questions in writing. Mr. Good. Uh, Mr. Good, you are uh, muted. So are we going to have first reading on it, then we'll have discussions or are we going to wait for second and third readings to have discussions? Uh, if council wants to do first reading and discussions and then any other changes we could do so. Um, okay, in that case, I'll move first reading. Okay, all in favor of first reading. Okay, anyone for a second? Uh, or is there any discussions on this? Well, Mr. Ford made a motion to go to second reading. Um, and uh, well, I'm gonna vote against going to third reading. So is there anybody that wants a motion to go to third reading? Have we voted on second yet? Uh, I thought we did. No. 
Okay, all in favor of second reading. So, so Mr. Mayor, um, to help any discussion further here, um, aren't we kind of, shouldn't we have a discussion and then look at second reading with those, any possible amendments or, or you would wait until after second reading, then do uh, changes and then go directly to third reading is what you're suggesting? Yeah, I'm, um, it looks like I've, I've got a, looking at my, uh, yeah, that's what I was hoping. But uh, if you guys think otherwise, I, um, it looks like I'm going to have to go. I got a bit of a family emergency. So Ms. Manzer, you can take over. But um, um, yeah, the chair is yours, Ms. Manzer. Okay. Um Sorry to hear that. Um, so uh, we are. Well, there's a few points maybe we'd like to just go over in this bylaw. Okay. Yeah. Council, you know, just because they did ask a, a couple of questions. So one of the big things was the process for complaints. Um, and in that uh, component, com uh, there was no option. Um, we realized we made a, a big mistake about the complaint component. So then we brought back the original. Uh, uh, bylaw and we added in a few uh, different little options there where an admissible employee may suspit, uh, su uh, submit a complaint via human resources and the remainder of the process is the same um, as for a member of the public. And then of course uh, we added a, a process for any uh, vexatious complaints and then a process uh, for alleged misconduct that falls within the jurisdiction of the municipality and then options for resolving the complaint and an appeal process for the complaint and the provision for cost recovery of investigation costs uh, that uh, we thought uh, some some counselors were concerned about, and then finally the requirements for reporting uh, both uh, to the complainant and counsel. Um, so uh, that's basically it. Um, so council has already voted on second reading. That's correct. Yeah. I I would have one, um, if we're going to have a bit of a discussion, there's one area Mr. where I see. Yes, Mr. Good, please. Um, uh, did we vote on second reading? I wasn't too sure about that. Yes, it, yes, it passed. We did? Okay, yeah. second reading has passed. Sorry, Mr. Good, you're, you're on the floor. Okay. Um, if you look at principles under um, Section 3 principles, yeah. it says council members shall recognize that their standing as elected officials brings additional public scrutiny, etc., Council members shall, in both their private and public roles, conduct themselves in a manner consistent with the principles of this bylaw and the integrity of their office. I, I like that. That's to my mind doesn't need changing. But if you then go to four section four six G, and section four is statutory provisions, it says, "Will treat council members. Councillors will treat council members or." whatever it says, we'll treat council members, town staff, residents, and all other parties with whom they interact in the process of carrying out their duties with respect, professionalism, and in keeping with the standards described. And I'm just thinking we can take out um, with the in the process of carrying out their duties because the first one says you're supposed to care, have these principles in and out of council. The second one says the, the level of behavior really only applies in council and in the performance of your duties. Now, I mean, if 
if somebody wants to argue that we should have a lower standard outside, I'm, I'm, I guess I could listen to that, but I'm really thinking that- Are you the should, same way? I'm sorry? Oh, I thought so. You, you, were, you were freezing up, Don, maybe. Oh, so. sorry. Was I freezing up to everybody there? Okay. Um, what I'm saying is I think the two are somewhat exclusionary. And I think the second one should have in the process of carrying out their duties removed so that the spirit stays as intended at all times. Okay, um, other discussions on that point? I would just, uh, just wondering, uh, Madam uh, Deputy Mayor, um, I'm wondering if, because we did second reading, if we take that out, if we have to start to go back to first reading, I just would like to confirm that first. So um, I we do we do have uh, six o'clock um, in camera we have to go to. So I'm just wondering if, um, while we go in camera, I can get the answer to that. And, um, and uh, and then when we come out of in camera, we can finish off if we decide to go to uh, third reading or not. I, I just told you my, much of my understanding in history, I believe you can make an amendment at any stage, but you check into it and confirm it. Yeah, you can I make an amendment. That confirmation. But if, it's, if they think it's a, a major amendment, and I just want to make sure this one isn't, um, you have to go back to first reading and start all over again. So, 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 so whereas at first reading, we could have made that amendment and not have to worry about it. Okay. So, but because that, that was the big issue that we're at right now. We've we already have done another, it. If we have an in camera we have to go to. We can, uh, yeah. what do we need a motion to, to defer this? We'll table this. We'll table this for now. A motion I'll to table. table. Okay, and uh, are we voting on tabling or no? It just yes. happened. Okay, all those in favor of tabling this until after, after uh, our in camera. Great, it's carried, it's tabled. Uh, Mr. Parker, we're just going to the breakout. Is somebody we, making we'll, a motion to go there? Sure, I'll uh, make Mr. Ford, all those in favor of going to a closed session? Thank you, it's carried. Okay, so. We join our different room. We'll see you next door. Okay, so we're back in open session of our council meeting. And uh, when we left, uh, we were, we had a motion to um, table code of conduct. So I would need a motion to bring that back from the table. Mr. Ford, all those in favor, it's passed. Okay, um, Mr. Parker, there was a question uh, at, that we had left, I believe. Th that is correct. So um, th there was two things. Uh, the first thing is whether you can make changes and you can make changes. It's just that uh, council would have to see what those changes are in writing prior to third reading. So, um, what we have done is you have the original bylaw and um, uh, I'm assuming Councillor Good wanted to remove uh, section, I think it was uh, 46G and, and remove that clause completely. Is that correct, uh, Councillor Good? No, 
No. No, I, you could leave 46G and just remove the terminology that says. There's eight um, words. There's eight words there that have to be removed. Okay. Yeah, basically, the um, in the process of carrying out their duties. So it'd be with whom they interact, with respect, professionalism, and in keeping with the standards described. So what we will do is we will uh, put it up so that council can see it. Yeah. And then it's legal to vote uh, if you want it to go to third reading. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Thank you very much. And council see that? Did I select the correct screen? Good with that. I'm fine with that. So we would just need an amendment to this. Do we vote on the amendment or we just vote on the bylaw as amended? Yeah, okay, you could do uh, go to third reading as amended. First, uh, you, you wanna go to third reading because we'd be doing three readings as amended, that's correct. Are there any additional amendments? Um, yeah, any additional changes, uh, councillors? Okay, uh, not hearing from anyone, so um, those present, uh, no further changes. So we have um, gone through second reading. I'll move, we go to third reading. As amended. As amended. All those in favor of third reading as amended, or to go to it? In favor. Okay. Councillor Good is speaking. Don't you need a motion to oh. have a third reading? Well, this is the motion to go to third reading. That's his reading. That's what we're doing right now, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, so that motion, just to be clear, was to go to third reading as the bylaw was Correct. amended. Okay, and it was carried. So now we could entertain a motion for third reading of uh, bylaw 2083 code of conduct bylaw as amended. So moved. Mr. Ford uh, moves third reading of code of conduct uh, Bylaw 2083 as amended. All those in favor? It looks like it's carried. Thank you for all your work and consideration, councillors and admin on that. Yeah, good work on that, Chris and Ruth. So um, if we're going to the next agenda item there, uh, Deputy Mayor uh, Manzer, um, uh, we'd be uh, talking about bylaw, procedure bylaw 2085 now. Correct. And uh, again, that also went to the February 23rd meeting of the Governance Priorities Committee. And uh, we spent a considerable time uh, reviewing this one. We also made the uh, amendments that council had uh, suggested at that meeting. And so we um, provide you with, with the option to do first, second and third reading, um, which uh, we're recommending. Okay, Mr. Needham. Uh, yes, uh, Deputy Mayor, I would put a motion on the floor uh, for first reading. Okay, thank you. Are there any discussions on that motion? Just a point, uh, Your Worship, when I read the bylaw, I thought administration uh, captured the two key areas that I was uh, most concerned about, and one was the starting time and with respect to setting the agenda. So uh, I think, again, uh, they did a good job uh, in put it, pulling together uh, some input from Council and uh, Again, I would offer a motion for first reading. 
Okay, no further discussion. All those in favor of first reading of uh, the procedural bylaw 2085. All, okay, it's carried. Okay, I would entertain uh, discussion or second reading. Uh, Mrs. Downing. Madam Deputy Mayor, I would like to go to second reading on bylaw 2085. Okay, any discussion? Okay, all those in favor of the motion to have second reading of procedural bylaw 2085. Okay, it's carried. I would move that we have third reading of bylaw 2085. Thank you, Mr. Good. All those in favor of going to third reading for bylaw 2085. Good, it's carried. Um, okay. And it's unanimous. I will move third and final reading of bylaw 2085. Thank you, Mr. Scammerhorn. So all those in favor of third and final reading of procedural bylaw 2085. Great, it is carried as well. Thank you very much. And again, thank you um, councillors for uh, your discussion on those. We had some quite uh, involved discussions and administration for making sense of it all and putting it on paper. So thank you again. So uh, is there any unfinished business, Mr. Parker? Or Ms. McQuaid? Uh, there, there, there is none. Uh... Okay, so we're at section eight, new business. Um, we have a request for decision with respect to community peace officer policies. And who's gonna lead us through those? Director Town. I will, Deputy, Deputy Mayor. Mr. Great, Mr. Town. Okay, um, it's gonna be a bit of a challenge to uh, keep our current uh, a uh, time frame of about 55 minutes per agenda item. So I'll, I'll talk for 50, I'll let you guys hash it over a bit. Um, and we'll, we'll see how we do. Um, actually, this should be really quick. Um, so before you this evening is uh, six community peace officer bylaws for, for council to consider um, and hopefully approve. We did talk about these at our March 1st governance and priority meeting and there's um, these are basically the template from the Solicitor General. So we're not looking for um, any sub substantive changes to our existing um, policies. They were all approved back in 2017. One was amended in 2018. Um, and there's, there's no, like as I mentioned, no substantive changes. So we're just looking for basically a reaffirmation or, or confirmation of the existing uh, policies that is and this is just part of our normal review cycle. That's why you're seeing these right now. Okay. So. 49 uh, more minutes, Mr. Town. <laughs> Would um, uh, council like to consider these one at a time or uh, basically after extensive discussion at last meeting, uh, the whole is a package? I, I would I would suggest we just do it as a package motion. Uh, okay. That would be my preference. Okay. So would someone like to propose a motion? Yeah, I'll propose a motion for council to approve the community peace officer policy, the emergency response pursuit policy, peace officer extendable baton policy, the peace officer Olerzen Capsium spray policy, the peace officer record keeping policy, and the peace officer reporting policy. Apologies for the pronunciation of one word. 
Oh, you did very well with that list though. Um, any discussion on uh, the motion? Okay, all those in favor of the motion. It is carried. That's that's called an omnibus bill in municipal politics there. It is, that's as omnibus as it gets. Uh, you're muted, Deputy Mayor. <clears throat> Just when I'm getting on a roll. Um, we're on to uh, new business section two, um, a request for decision on the Al Adair Rec Center. And Miss um, Bell, you're, you're leading us through this. Yes, thank you. You're very much, or thank you for, I've, I've lost track of time here. <laughs> It's been a long meeting, but very short for some of us who have been on the outside of some of the meetings. So just to catch up. Um, council, before you is a uh, request for decision regards to the Aladair Rec Center in relationship to the RFP that was posted back in May, June, May, wow, of 2020. Um, so this has been an ongoing item uh, for administration and council now for quite some time. The RFP was posted for 11 weeks. It was advertised extensively, not just within the community, but also within the region. We did South Peace News and other methods such as the radio. So there was um, extensive uh, advertising within the region. We did receive one submission from a local, local nonprofit, Sagatawa Friendship Society to the RFP. Since that time of the submission review that administration did in the summer, trying to get my time frames accurate here, um, we've had quite a number of conversations with the society to ensure they are fully understanding of the situation that they're taking on with such a large structure um, the financial commitment, uh, business plan, um, quite a, there was a lot of conversation with the organization to ensure they had as much information as possible to ensure they were uh, encapsulating all the potential challenges ahead for them as an organization. Uh, the one thing that we've discussed and wanted to make clear to the organization, which they have been very grateful for, is that in no way would the town want to place the organization into a situation that um, made their operations untenable or put additional stress on them. So over the last five months, we have uh, taken the organization through a number of tours on the building. Again, we've done um, provided additional information through a structural assessment We've done a building inspection for the organization and provided that detailed report to them um, and made sure they had a proper business plan and asked for that business plan, which they did submit and had numerous conversations uh, with the board and organization around the, the building that they were taking on and all the other components to it. Um, after much conversation, the board, Sagtawa Friendship Society is very interested in proceeding with their submission and taking the facility on um, as their primary structure 
to offer their programs and services and potentially expand and, and look at new uh, services out of that building. Therefore, uh, administration is providing council with some options this evening. Um, one, to proceed with the transfer as requested through the RFP process to donate the building and land to Segta Friendship Society. This is a mechanism that can be done through the Municipal Government Act and allows council after publicly advertising to transfer ownership to a nonprofit organization. Your other option, though there may be others if council chooses, is that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to decline the transfer of ownership and look for other, explore other options for that building, such as um, demolition or other disposal options, putting the building up for sale and not proceeding with the um, transfer of ownership. If council has any questions of the report or anything that other information that you would. Okay, um, Miss. Uh, Councillor Downing and then Councillor Good. Your or Madam Deputy Mayor, um, thank you, um, Ms. Bell, for this report. Uh, I missed that Councillor Good had put his hand up because I was going to make a motion. I'm very comfortable with the due diligence that's been done on behalf of community services regarding the Aladair Rec Center and discussion that's been entered into with the, um, is, are they a proponent for our, the RFP? Yes. <laughs> with the applicant, how about the applicant? applicant yeah. um, and uh, so I'm very comfortable making, the mo making a motion uh, tonight, Madam Deputy Mayor, but I, I will hold off till Mr. Good has an opportunity for his comment. Okay, thank you. Councilor Good? Good. I was just going to say thank you to um, to Tanya, to Miss Bell, and all of the people that worked with you on this, including the people from Sagatawa, for for taking the time and doing the due diligence to allow both parties to be comfortable and knowledgeable of, of the arrangement that we're going into. And I know that it was not simple and it was not simple probably for you and it was not simple for Sagatawa. And I think that it speaks to a really high level of communication and trust that we've gotten to this situation. And I'm very, very happy. So that's really all I was gonna say. So thank you very much for all the work you put into it. It's very much noted and appreciated. You're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Yes, Ford. I agree with uh, Councillor Good's comments. Job well done. Uh, the only question I have is, uh, let's say the transfer is done, if that's the way the way it goes, and uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't work out for for that not-for-profit uh, group. Will this come? Will this come back to us, or that would be in their ballpark from now on? That if. Full land and building ownership is transferred, it would then fall to the organization to dispose of the asset as per their bylaws. So that could be one of many ways they could look for another nonprofit to take it over as an option, or if they were in a financial situation that required uh, disposal through the sale, that is also an option to them. Yeah. Okay, Mr. 
Needham, did you have a comment? Uh, I very quickly. I, I I think my comments largely been covered. I, I guess I would only add that uh, this project has certainly matured a lot from when we first yeah. saw it at the council table. And uh, I must admit, uh, I was uh, some skepticism, uh, but I've certainly changed my mind now. And again, uh, I would use the word matured. Certainly, the level of interest uh, that uh, Miss Bell has been able to level of interest and dedication and the, the actual board members to get everybody in a room to talk about what the issues are and to talk about the challenge. I'm, I'm pleased to see that because it's, it's, that's a big building. It's, it's no small task and uh, um, I'm optimistic that they'll do well. So uh, I'm certainly supportive of, of, uh, of the project as it stands now. Okay, Mr. Scamahorn, did you have a comment? Uh, just more bouquets for everybody for their hard work. I don't need to reiterate what's been what's been said already. It's been said better than I could. So let's let's get this going. Okay, Miss um, uh, Bell, just a, a question. So uh, if it gets turned over to them and um, they are then responsible for figuring out uh, uh, zoning things and all that sort of thing as to mm -hmm. what might be able to happen in that building. That's correct. So they are very well aware of any zoning requirements or changes that would be necessary depending on the type of service they want to offer and also parking requirements at the site. So we've gone through all the land use and bylaw implications with them. Yeah. And they're well aware and and are addressing them or will address them. Yeah. If yeah. <laughs> Well, it's good to see that, and uh, I have a feeling the motion might be going in a positive way for Tagatawa. <laughs> so it's gate. It's a great refreshment for the building, and probably for their uh, their whole programming aspect because they've been expanding, expanding lately too. So great, uh, Miss Downing. Did you have uh, something to say? Thank you, Madam Deputy Mayor. Yes, I'd like to move that Council approves a formal transfer of ownership of the Aladair Rec Center. Plan 8421581 Block X Lot 1 Municipal Address 9702 98th Street to the Sagatawa Friendship Society through the authority of the Municipal Government Act Section 70-2-C uh, with the condition of the sale that no financial support for the building will be available through the Town of Peace River. Thank you. Any further discussion on the motion? Okay, all those in favor? Uh, it is carried unanimously. Thank you, Ms. Bell, for your work as has been mentioned and thank you for your patience tonight too. Thank you. I'm sure Ms. Hume will be setting up some sort of a lovely key handing over process photo op, socially distanced uh, soon. Well, that would be good news in this time. So yeah. good news story. It would be very much yeah. so. Thank you. Thank you again. Okay, we are now at section three, request for a decision on the potable water bleeder policy. Uh, Mr. McQuaig. Thank you, Deputy Mayor and Council. So before tonight is a request for decision on the potable water service bleeder policy that we discussed at the GMP uh, session last. So as we're aware, the last uh, update to the policy was on May 8th, 2017. And uh, our last discussions with council at the GMP were to kind of uh, keep the existing policy
I'll see as it is. Uh, bring some better definition around the dates and then also have some inclusion around neighborhood renewal policy. I would uh, point out, uh, as discussed uh, a little bit today, that uh, uh, administration's recommendation is for option one, which would be to adopt the policy as amended. Okay. Uh, does anyone have questions of Mr. McQuaid? Yeah, I do. Um, how different is this policy that we see in front of us? I, I just feel like maybe I missed this at our at yeah. the last time we were able to discuss it from what we were operating under before. So uh, in terms of dates, so before I said the program uh, for replacement of the bleeders was a 10-year program starting in 2018. So yeah. rather than kind of harping on the starting date of the program, Basically, I kind of shifted that to the end date to the program being 2028. So that was the, the change there. And then also uh, point number nine, to encourage residents in the neighborhood infrastructure renewal program areas to use the credit up to $4,500 to correct water sources that lead to the elimination of a water breeder or aquaflow device during the construction period. So that was the other thing that we talked about last week was just uh, making kind of tying this a little more into the neighborhood renewal program. Okay, Mr. Scammerhorn. That is what I was looking to see. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Needham, did you have a? Uh, well, I, you know, it's that captured, uh, you know, I was somewhat confused and I did conclude that it was status quo. So on behalf of the 138 water bleeders in Peace River, thank you to the engineering department. And I, I, I must steal Councillor Good's line. Uh, you can't lose something that you never have. And I know in the briefing note, we talked about the lost revenue because the water is flowing through the line. So uh, I can't help myself. Uh, we you can't lose something we didn't have. Uh, I'm certainly comfortable with uh, the neighborhood renewal uh, component. That makes sense. If my street were ever to be redone, I would gladly pay $4,500 to get my water line uh, <laughs> removed and, and a new water line. So I, I think that speaks to that issue. Uh, I'm quite happy with what I see. And I would, if I may, uh, Deputy Mayor, I would put a motion on the floor to adopt the policy as amended. Okay, uh, any further discussion on the motion? Just for clarification, then you're moving the recommendation then? Yes, uh, it's uh, it's it is one of the recommendations, Councillor Good. The, the other recommendation was to cancel the program, I believe. Uh, so what I'm recommending is that we adopt it as amended, and that would take care of the neighborhood renewal question. That that's a new feature, and then status quo for the homeowners that have a water bleeder. They would remain status. In terms of their use in the program. So it's option one to adopt the policy as amended for the right and the the amended portion is the neighborhood renewal reference. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Good are you okay with that? Yeah okay all those in favor of the motion? Great it is carried thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next uh, one is a request for decision with respect to Mercer International Letter of Support. And uh, Mr. Parker? 
Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer and Council. Uh, before you, you have a RFD requesting um, a letter of support uh, for Mercer International uh, Inc. Uh, uh, they have a, uh, made two uh, application grants. Uh, the first one they were not successful on. However, the second one they were uh, able to um, go to the second level, which is the Emissions uh, Reduction Alberta Shovel Ready Challenge Grant. Um, uh, this letter of support will just assist them in uh, moving forward with their um, application process. And uh, the actual motion is uh, that uh, council uh, administration is asking is that council direct administration to write a letter of support under the letterhead of the mayor for Mercer International Inc. application to the Alberta ERA Shell Ready Challenge Grant, and also to work with our municipal partners to solicit letters of support uh, from them for this application. And uh, that's basically uh, what the administration is looking at. Okay, um, little discussion, questions, councillors, uh, Councillor Scammerhorn. Is there um, any thought to including other community groups, say the gymnastics club, groups that have been sponsored by Mercer, uh, groups that uh, rely on, on fundamentals of Mercer's business, like say uh, Boucher or things like that uh, to, to, to get involved here? Is that, is that an option, uh, Mr. Parker? I, I think uh, the sky's the limit on this one, uh, uh, is, but there's a short time frame. Okay. So the, the, the problem is, is how far you can go out. Um, maybe we could try and drag it out uh, a little bit more, but definitely uh, municipal uh, uh, organizations have a good uh, um, feedback for that. But uh, we would definitely, there's other individuals we happen to be talking to, such as that. And if you're more than happy to give me some contacts, I'd be more than happy to reach out to them. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you, Mr. Scammerhorn. Other, uh, Mr. Good? That motion, the recommendation could be, uh, if you just take the the words from them out of the recommendation, it says, and work with our municipal partners to solicit letters of support. Then we would work with our partners for letters and we could also work with anybody else so we can get letters from. Okay. And since no motion has been moved, that you could uh, move that motion like um, that. Um, if Mr. Scamhorn would like to move that motion as amended, that'd be great. Oh, um, we, you, you can move it too, Mr. Motion, Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's okay, all. I'll, I'll move the yeah. recommendation as amended to, with the, so the council direct administration to write a letter of support under the letterhead of the mayor for Mercer International Incorporation's uh, application to the Alberta ERA ERA, yeah, shovel ready challenge grant and work with our municipal partners to solicit letters of support for this application. So your the wording is as was written in the option? With the removal of the word from them, because it would allow other people to be a part ah, of it. Okay. It has been amended. Okay. Um, are there is there any further discussion on that motion? Anybody want uh, the motion read for clarification? Or we're good. Okay, all those in favor of the motion? Everybody is in favor, it is carried. I believe everyone was in favor. Yes, thank you. Okay, uh, thank you once again, um, Mr. Parker for that. And um, 
Daesh, well, Marabi, or I'm going to get the name correct here. Uh, Mercer is definitely uh, a very valuable as regional asset, shall we say, and it works both ways. So uh, we wish them well with their, um, their future endeavors there. Okay, next we have uh, the uh, addition to the amend uh, agenda, which was the St. Germain, um, what was it called? Servicing. St. Germain Review. servicing uh, plan, let's say. So uh, who's leading us through this? Ms. Modi and Mr. McQuaig? Yeah, and I'm going to let uh, Ms. Modi kind of kick this one off. Good evening, everyone. So I have before you a briefing note to ensure that council is aware of information that we have developed and which we are hoping to share uh, with some specific residents particularly and also just making it publicly available in general. Um, it's a question that I think is going to come up frequently or on a regular basis over the next little while. Um, so we felt that it was prudent to do just a little bit of extra work so that we had context. So we have the St. Germain area, which is up kind of past uh, home hardware and the Ford and, and uh, Dodge dealerships. And that area is unserviced. It doesn't have any water or sanitary servicing. And there are some residential parcels or uh, urban reserve parcels in that area where a house could reasonably be developed. And then there are also existing residential parcels in that area. So the question was posed to the town in 2020 about whether or not the existing residences could connect to the municipal sanitary and water systems. And typically in general, the answer to that is uh, no, because the town's not likely to invest in those pipes um, on its own. Um, and typically when development happens, the developer is the one that will install new infrastructure and then the town will take it over and be responsible for the maintenance and the future replacement of that infrastructure. Um, but right now we have fairly large residential parcels. Uh, so whether or not that would actually be financially um, feasible is, is a question, but we, we didn't really have specific information. So the intent of the report is to put a kind of scope on what that question would be. What are the options for servicing in the area? And uh, what's that financial scale going to look like? So basically we have a, an engineering and planning report that provides a, a level a D class uh, estimate. So by no means is this the final information uh, with uh, the estimates that would for sure be what we would end up having to pay or the landowners would have to pay, but it gives us a sense of scale. Um, so I know that you guys only received the report this afternoon, um, but I don't know if we want to go through it in detail. I think what I would highlight from it is that the engineers contemplated three different servicing scenarios. Um, some of them conform to the area structure plan that's in place. Uh, and those costs ultimately are higher because what the area structure plan that's in place for the majority of these lands contemplates is commercial development. So development at a scale that's much more intense than what's there today. Whereas the ask that we were dealing with was really just about servicing the residential that exists in the area. So that's the final scenario. Um, and in all cases, um, there is a substantial cost that ranges from almost $900,000 in infrastructure installation to 
about $200,000. And in all cases, there is an on-site cost as well to every individual residence that gets hooked up. So the report outlines those things. And then it also outlines some of the key considerations that if the town was going to move forward that we'd want to consider. Um, one of the key limitations is that the report does make an assumption that all of the servicing can be done without a lift station. Um, so that, that idea or that uh, assumption would have to be tested as future engineering were to move forward. So we are going to share this with, we have the initial resident who posed the question to us. We'll definitely share back with them. We've actually recently also received a second query from a different resident. I'm not sure if there's been communication between the two of them or not, uh, but we'll be making this publicly available to, to both of them. So it'll inform their decision-making and ultimately uh, if the neighborhood was really interested in tying onto the municipal systems and the town was willing to undertake uh, the third servicing scenario, which is the low, lowest cost, the one that really just meets their needs without going further, um, then the option that they would be willing or they would have to move forward if they were so motivated would be to initiate a local improvement bylaw. So undertake a petition that would put the town in the position of moving forward on a local improvement. That would be their way, their easiest way forward. Um, so I can take questions or Mr. McCoy can take questions about the engineering that's presented in the report, or if you have, would like me to go through the details more, I can, it's up to, to council's information or questions. I think uh, we'll take opportunity to read it, but uh, Mr. Scammerhorn, you have uh, a question today? I did have a flip through there and, and maybe just help me out. And I'd like to think I'm reading this right, of course, as usual. Um, if we go or if that local improvement levy uh, does go through for the smallest or the least capacity option, yeah. should that neighborhood encounter increased intensity, those works would have to be abandoned? Redone? Yes. Yeah. They would, and uh, especially if uh, we started seeing uh, some further commercial development in that area, uh, and we're being very upfront about that in that this water system is meant just for more like a country residential type setup, where uh, the third option, which is the cheapest option that we're looking at, is more of a trickle system where uh, we're going to be filling, they would have their own cistern on their property and we would have a trickle line that would fill into the cistern and then they would draw off the cistern. For the sanitary side, basically what we would do is they would have a septic tank and, uh, and from that septic tank, they could uh, choose to pump up their effluent into uh, a sanitary force main, uh, which would lead down the street towards uh, uh, just uh, down by the car dealership and the Home Depot uh, where it would turn into a gravity feed system at that point. But basically it would be effluent only and any solids would be collected in their uh, septic tank and they would have to get it emptied uh, periodically. Okay. Uh, Oops, Mr. Needham. Oh, sorry. There we go. So it's... Uh, Jim, it's my tired eyes here, and I did read the email when it came this afternoon. So north on this picture is on the right-hand side? Yes. 
And so could you put a cursor where home hardware is or the Ford dealership? So I think home okay. hardware is about there. Yeah. Back there. Okay. So, yeah. all right, then I'm going to focus my question. So, so this is Cleverville Road here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. So is that piece of dirt privately owned? I presume it is. Yes, the, all of this land is privately owned. Private. Okay, a so, little bit of municipal and environmental reserve in the okay, area. Okay, so when we distribute this map, as was suggested, obviously the developer is going to get a copy of this. Is that? Well, in this case, the developer is all of the landowners. So there is no one developer in the area, which is why this area is likely to right. always be right. a little okay. bit. Okay, by that's that's what I meant. So the owner of the property is going to get a copy of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, fair enough. Councillor Downing. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. I, I Thanks, Colin, for clarifying the map. That's where I thought it was too, but I did have some moments of confusion. Tell me a little bit about, is zone one and zone two like future development? Is that what we're looking at there? Sorry. Oh, on this yeah, map, just open the here. Yeah, there, there are two separate phases of that development for that block. Yeah, so that's a whole, this, this map comes out of the area structure plan. Right. So aside from the edits to the map that are down towards the Highway 2 area of it, yeah, it's, the map comes from the ASP. So there's a lot of context that's not within this particular document. But if you were to go to the area structure plan, then the map would make a lot more sense. Okay. The zone one and zone two, those are within um, the quarter section that's north of, of the home hardware quarter section, essentially. Um, and that's the development of that whole area, which is quite intensive. What's, what's called for in the area structure plan. The, okay. Because it looks intensive to me in comparison to what the rest of the area looks like. Yeah, and basically uh, the water servicing is structured differently for each zone. So that way you could do zone one in isolation and have it serviced by water and or you could do zone two separately and serviced by water. Okay, okay. Uh, Mr. Good? Hey, just so I see if I understand what's going on, you've got roughly seven homes there that want to be attached to town water supply some way. Am I correct? That's, right. That's correct. All of those seven homeowners are covered <laughs> by um, a one person who's speaking on their behalf. Is that really what I understand? So if, if we say yes to this, am I understanding that all of the costs of this uh, water infrastructure would be borne on a local improvement by those homeowners, That's by, by, by those, that prop, those properties. Yeah. Okay. So, and if I, do I also understand that, let's say um, we need to go past that, put in more industrial stuff, and we need to abandon that water line, that that investment that they put into it is just a kind of a too bad house ad, you put your money in and uh, you're going to lose that, but the debt is still going to remain on your properties and your debt to the town of Peace River will still be on those properties. Am I correct? I think so. That's I, correct. Yeah. I would want so, to check it as well. Yeah. So, and basically the, the principle is, and, and Alicia, you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, is basically this is a way uh, for them because normally uh, they're not going to be paying any offsite levies at this point, 
that any future development is paid through basically would be covered off through offsite levies, not specifically what they're doing, but it would be covered under that. But it would be very clear that if we had to expand water into St. Germain, for example, that the option, because what I could see happening in the future is, well, we wanna, we wanna see more development in the rest of St. Germain, but we really don't want you to remove our existing water line because if you do that, it's gonna put a bunch of costs on us and those costs are gonna be really difficult for us to recoup, you know, the economy's bad and la da 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 da. Um, it's, it's all, and I'm not being critical of individuals involved. I'm just saying that the, it, it, it comes back sometimes because there were other things that went on with the St. Germain property over the last number of years where conditions of how it was developed were going to go in a certain direction and went in another. And then it was brought back to us saying, well, we really need some accommodation here because I'd like to build a house here or I'd like to do this here or I'd like to do that. And, and the conversation always turns around to, well, you really, you know, it really shouldn't be on me because it should be on you because you know, we didn't know what was coming and, you know, you're, you're now you're going to make it really difficult for us to develop our other land because do you know where I'm going with this conversation? Well, I, I guess the one way to look at this too is similarly how we're dealing with downtown where we're going from one uh, standard of uh, level of service to another. So, yes. so similarly that uh, they would continue to have this same level of service and until they choose to connect on to a higher level of service and then okay we'll have to look at the differential between the two to determine you know what they're going to pay at that point so we'd be able to main so even if we expanded into the rest of the saint germain development with a, a huge pipe and water for everybody like let's all of a sudden 10 costcos want to come and build in equivalents want to build up there we can do that and still maintain that Section yes. under those conditions, and they wouldn't have to move until whenever it became um, necessary to do so. Until such time as they want to go to that higher level of service. So okay, yeah, that makes me more comfortable. I, I do appreciate that clarification because I just, there's been so many changes on the St. Germain development that mm -hmm. I just wanted a clarification on that. I appreciate it. And if I could jump in and just add, I think that the intention of this report is also to just provide, it's not necessarily provide a recommendation. Um, it's to provide what some of the options are and what some of the implications would be. So it poses questions to the town and also to the landowners. So it helps to outline what the implications might be and what we would have to work through if we were to want to proceed down the road, if they're actually interested based on these numbers in going down the road of a local improvement, um, then we would have a better idea of what the considerations are and financially what the implications are for them. Um, that's, that's great because I mean, we wanna see development everywhere too. We wanna to see more homes being built. We would like to see more industrial stuff being developed too. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's better to understand at the front end what your agreement is with no misunderstandings later for everybody, because then you can plan accordingly. Exactly. Okay, uh, Mr. Scammerhorn, you had another? Yeah, sort of. Um, the, the thing that I guess, and we've seen this before is, you know, this makes sense to those property owners that are currently there 
and you know they understand the game and the rules and everything the properties change hands after a half a generation and the people coming in don't see things the same way or want things different or it's not fair or or you know whatever so I don't know, I guess we have to, uh, you know, like tattoo this agreement onto something very permanent mm -hmm. so that everyone understands, you know, exactly what's, you know, and what's that is, um, that is something in terms of communication, as I said, the intention here is to, to share it with the residents who are there now, 100% we want to do that. But I'm also hoping that we're actually going to develop a web page specific to this, uh, similar to the area that I know you're alluding to, Councillor Scamahorn. I, um, I, I alluded to nothing. <laughs> we very recently developed a web page that is very specific to another neighborhood in our town. Oh, that, okay. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it just, it's, if you go onto the engineering webpage, you can find it now. Uh, so that's very recent, um, but it kind of compiles all of the information that we have available on that other neighborhood so that it's readily available um, and it includes information that was presented to council. So if anybody poses a question about that other neighborhood, we can easily point them there as a place to begin understanding the issue. And then, you know, I'm sure there'll still be future conversations, but that initial information is readily available to everybody. So hopefully that will inform future conversations. And we'd like to make this information likewise available publicly so that it can inform any future conversations as well. Thanks. Uh, well, I guess I kind of half still have the floor, if you don't mind, Madam Deputy. Um, is there, I, the, I didn't see any numbers in the report. Is, is that just too far away to, to guess or spitball or, or anything there, like that? I'm just- There are numbers. You do have to get very far into the report. Um, oh, you, you don't understand how I read very well then, I suppose. <laughs> On page seven, the bottom of page seven is okay, the estimated cost for scenario one. Uh, and then scenario two, the estimated cost is on page nine. And on scenario, uh, scenario three, it's on page 10. Okay. And all of those estimated costs are, there's that cost that's the, for the infrastructure installation. And then there's also a per residence cost for the cistern or for the water. I forget what the water word is, but they're for the components that might have to be on site for each of the individual systems to make them work. Okay, so my the napkin math, this is like 40k. Yes, you're right. Which is why it's important for us to have the context of when you when you put this ask to the town, this is the ask. The ask okay. is for a fairly substantial cost. Well, the water's really good. Yeah, you come back to to uh, live here if you drink it. So carry on with it, I guess. Um, so one of the things that that uh, was alluded to, um, Mr. McQuaig, uh, the lift station business. So all of this, all of the three scenarios would have to have that lift station study kind of put in them before anything would go into the, effect. Anyhow. The third scenario would not because there again, basically, so what we're doing is having residents, each would have a septic tank. Each okay. uh, resident would have a pump out system that would pump out effluent into a force main system. Yeah. It would travel the length, like I said, to kind of that home hardware, the car dealership area, mm -hmm. and then turn into gravity feed that way. So we wouldn't need a lift station uh, to accomplish that. And we do a similar scenario uh, down by uh, the gravel pits and finning uh, down uh, just north 
of uh, lower and upper West Peace. Yeah. So we have an effluent uh, force main system for those uh, that operate uh, similarly. They have a septic tank uh, with an effluent pump out. So it's not uh, without precedent in the town. So with that sort of system, they just have to make sure that whatever is far enough from the creek to satisfy certain uh, no, no, they would pump out into our sanitary system, all the, the effluent, oh, okay. and then say once a year or once every two years, depending upon uh, what their solids build up, they would have to yeah. get uh, their septic tank uh, pumped out. Okay, Mr. Good. One thing I'd like to see, I, I don't know if administration could get this, is a lot of times in product comparisons, you have product A, B, and C, and then you have like almost a drop-down list of initial expected initial costs per house expend you know and because this I if I go from section from recommendation one to two I've got to remember one to compare it to two but then I got to remember one and two to compare it to three where if I'm looking at a cost I want to know um, what are the costs per household and in the three scenarios bam 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 if I want to know what is the what is the cost to the town in the three scenarios? Bam, bam, bam. Across, I can look and do a comparison on one line. Kind of want to try. So, if you could develop that kind of a comparison, it would be much easier for me to understand. I don't know about others, but um, it, you know, what is covered? Sewage is covered in one of them, maybe not covered in another. You know, this kind of, of comparison. So, mm -hmm. if you could do that. I'd really appreciate it. Okay. Any further? Uh questions at the moment then we would look for a motion to accept this for information that's correct okay and mr needham uh making a motion to accept the saint germain servicing scenarios by v3 companies report for information any further discussion last time all in favor carried thank you, thank you and uh, thanks for the heads up thank you Okay, um, Mr. Parker, we're now at reports. Oops, I guess I should just say we're at reports. So the Peace Library uh, board minutes from February 27th, uh, those were available in your agenda. Um, basically, they're looking at a lot of policy uh, refreshing as well. And a good note, last few days, the libraries have received notice that they can open up a wee bit. Uh, correct, Mrs. Downing? Yeah. Okay, would someone like to move uh, the acceptance of the Peace Library Board Minutes of the February 27th, 2021 meeting for um, information? Uh, Ms. Downing, thank you. All those in favor? Good, it's carried. Great. And and just further to that, uh, Deputy Mayor, the Town of Peace Rivers or Library opened again on March the 3rd. Great, people will be quite happy. Yeah. Um, Information, we have no items, notices of motion. Mr. Parker, no. Um, comments from the public, uh, Ms. McQuaig, is somebody in Zoom land? Nope, okay. Uh, we're now at um, key communication items. Ms. Hume, what are we going to communicate? Good evening, um, yeah, all the items that I would uh, have highlighted have sort of been addressed in some capacity. So we'll uh, put something together regarding the Aladare Center. There's some um, paperwork that needs to be sorted out first, but we'll use that process and be very exciting news. Um, 
the St. Germain servicing, as I've sent around the link regarding the, the, the Westbrook neighborhood. So we'll, we'll do a similar page along those lines. Um, yeah, that was, those are sort of the big things that stood out to me. Um, any other additions that someone would like to say would be a key communication, Mr. Ford? That both the code of conduct bylaw and the procedural bylaw have been uh, passed third reading. Yep, we can okay. put together. Uh, anything further from any of our- uh, Okay, along those lines. Um, yeah, that was, those are sort of the big things that stood out to me. I'm looking at Miss Hume, but the voice is coming from I don't know where. <laughs> uh, our I, guest was uh, unmuted. I okay. have I helped him with that. Okay, thank you. YouTube's on a bit of a delay, so it'll broadcast about 30 seconds after the conversation <laughs> takes place here. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, any action items uh, by admin that we want to uh, put in key communication? Nope. Okay, then uh, thank you, Ms. Hume, for uh, coordinating all of that. You're welcome. And I believe we're now ready to go into closed session if someone would so move. Uh, Mr. Good moves that we go into closed session. All those in favor? Great, we're moving in. It's carried at 8.28 p.m. Thank you. We've uh, so just, uh, come out of closed <laughs> session at, uh, what did we say, 9.39. Um, anyone want to move to adjourn? Uh, Ms. Downing, thank Don't you. Move. All those in favor? In favor. Great.